Welcome to the teaching ministry of Walt East, lead chaplain at Sky Valley Chapel. We hope this teaching will serve as a practical guide for your daily walk as a Christ follower. We encourage you to follow along with your Bible and life notes, which can be found in the podcast show notes or on our website at svmin.com. Jesus never minced words. He didn't withhold the truth. He said, in this world, in this world, you will have reason to hurt. You will have trouble. But he follow-ups and he said, but, but don't fear. Take heart. He says, because I have overcome the world. The great thing about the God we serve, one of the great things about the God we serve is that Peace has never meant the absence of storms. Peace means that you've got the guaranteed presence of God with you in the midst of even the greatest storm. Even if you find yourself precariously on the roof of a goat shed and you must really quickly figure out where to land and how to land so you don't injure yourself. Even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of social unrest, whatever is going on in your life, whatever the storm is that is, that is swirling around you, your house, your, your home, your, your family, your community, God is good. God is with us. He's never abandoned anybody in the midst of a storm. And in Matthew chapter 5, in the opening remarks of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out for us a countercultural approach to life. Basically, what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 5 is if you want what the world's got, then go ahead and do what the world's doing. Live how the world lives. And I don't think anybody right now would look out into the world and think, wow, I need more of that. You know, I need more bitterness. I need more hatred. I need more restlessness, more divisiveness, rage, a lack of peace, violence. I don't know about you, but I don't want what the world is offering there. And Jesus opens this sermon, and he lays out a list of eight Beatitudes, which we just read a few moments ago. And he says, if you would follow these, you're going to look a lot less like the world. You're going to look a whole lot more like me. You're going to look like Jesus. You're going to love like Jesus. You're going to live like Jesus. He says, don't act like the world acts. Don't think like the world thinks. I've not called you to that. I've called you to this. You'll take your life notes and look at the front there on Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. We'll get there in just a second, but you could say all, sort of thing, all sorts of things about Jesus, but the one thing you have to acknowledge about Jesus is that he speaks the truth. He tells the truth. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. He's a, he's a realist, very much so. And one thing he gets really honest about is the consequences of following him. There are blessings, yes, in following Jesus, but there are also consequences to following Jesus. And he was very honest about the cost of following him. He never sugarcoated his message. He never tried to win anybody over with, with fancy and, and flowery words, which is why he concludes his introduction to the Sermon on the Mount with this. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Good News Translation says it this way. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. 
the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Simply put, Jesus is saying, should you choose to follow me, there will be those who disapprove of that direction. Not everybody is going to like that decision. There's going to be a cost to following me, he says. And it's such a shocking statement because it's like he starts off this thing with, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the, you know, and it did, but yet it ends with blessed are those who are persecuted. The shocking thing is that he says it again, he repeats it. And at any time Jesus repeats something, how many of you know that it's a probably a good opportunity to lean in and pay attention? If he's repeating something, we probably need to perk up. Everything he says matters, but, but if Jesus repeats something, it must really matter. So he goes on, and this is the only beatitude that he adds to. All the other are pretty pithy and sweet and to the point, but, but here he adds, he says, Blessed are you, in verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil about you or against you. Not because of the church you belong to, not because you're one of those annoying, you know, jerk, loudmouth Christian people that are going around shoving the gospel down people's throat. He's saying, blessed are not those who are asking to be persecuted. Not blessed are you who just act like you care about people, but you don't really care about people because if you cared about them, then you would look like Jesus and you would love them like Jesus. He's saying, blessed are you who are persecuted because of me. Not because you've given people good reason to hate you on your own. He's saying, because of me. Should you follow these beatitudes? Should you look like me? Should you lead like me, love like me, live like me? Here is what is guaranteed to follow, he says. You're going to be persecuted. So what do we do with this? You know, he goes on and it continues there. And as I said, he expounds on this beatitude. He says in verse 12, look at this in your life. He says, rejoice and be glad. Really? Jesus? Persecuted, I'm supposed to rejoice and be glad? Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. As I said, Jesus gives more space to this beatitude than any other. And it's the only one that he not only repeats, but also notice he personalizes it. He personalizes it. All the others that we've covered these past seven weeks, and if you didn't, if you weren't here for the other seven weeks, you can catch them on our podcast. But all the others that we've covered these past seven weeks, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, you know, he says theirs, they, blessed are they. But here he says you. He personalizes, he changes his pronoun here. He says, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all manner of evil against you. It's also different from the other seven because the other seven, if you look at them, they reflect the character of a person who has decided to follow Jesus, a, a Jesus follower, a Christ follower, a disciple. This beatitude reflects the character of the world and how the world will treat those who choose to live a life like Jesus. Jesus is saying, as you learn to reflect the first seven of my beatitudes, it is a foregone conclusion be like Jesus, and you will be persecuted. In other words, persecution ought not surprise you. Persecution ought not catch you off guard. Slander ought not shock you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, he said, you will be hated. Not you might be hated. He said, you will be hated because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end 
will be saved. So it's not a matter of if, but when. And what Jesus is saying is blessed, at peace, content, fulfilled, is the person who learns to deal with rejection, persecution, whose faith is strong. So strong that you're able to endure and, and withstand insult, every form of attack. Blessed are you when you learn to live not for the approval of the crowd, but when you live for the approval of the cross. You learn how to deal with persecution. and You almost get used to dealing with the attacks. You're not surprised by it because you understand that Jesus promised you you will be persecuted. Not because of you, but because of him. In John chapter 15, Jesus says, They persecuted me, they will persecute you. Why? Because evil doesn't like Jesus. The God of this age, who is Satan, knows he can't attack Jesus. He can't get at Jesus directly. He tried that once, and it was a colossal failure. So what's the next best thing Satan can do? If I can't get to Jesus directly, what am I going to go after? I'm going to go after his people. I'm going to go after his followers. I'm going to attack his church, those who are called by his name. You see, this world can't stand a biblical perspective. The world can't stand a person standing for Jesus. It's counter to the world system. That's why this, the, this uh, series that I've been talking about is not that, but this. Not the world's way, but Jesus' way. Jesus said you're in the world, but you shouldn't be of the world. We live in the world, but we're not called to reflect the world. We're called to reflect the Savior. And if at times we don't, as the church, draw distinction between his way and the world's way, as Jesus did throughout his early earthly ministry, we're failing one another. And we're not just failing one another, but we're also failing the world because what the world needs more of is not people who look like the world. There's plenty of people who look like the world. The world needs more people who look like Jesus. The world needs more people who stand out like Jesus. But the reality is that everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their, their deeds will be uncovered, their deeds will be exposed. 2 Timothy 3 underscores this teaching. Paul writes to the young pastor Timothy there, he says, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. No exceptions. Everyone who wants to live in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, some will be persecuted more than others, but everyone will be persecuted. It costs. And Jesus told his disciples, said, count the cost. Paul continues, says, while evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's not that you might be persecuted. According to Jesus, you will be persecuted. The more you look like, love like, live like, and lead like Jesus, the more the darkness that is around you is going to be exposed. That's why we live in a culture that is absolutely relentless in its attack on Christians and Christian values. We should not be surprised at that. Jesus said it's going to happen. He warned us. He told us. He told us it's going to happen. So when you stand out, people will have something to say about you. When you stand out, you will be insulted. Remember, Jesus stood out. And what happened to him? They crucified him. All but one of Jesus' apostles, other than Judas, who killed himself, were killed for their faith. Only John, who was exiled, didn't die a martyr's death. So what do we do when we're persecuted? What do we do when the world insults our belief system, our faith in Christ? 
when we're criticized, when we're slandered, when our livelihood is threatened, when we're confronted with, conformed to the way everybody's swimming and every way everybody's going or, or be canceled. Because again, it's not that you might be, you will be. Understand that there are very few people in the world today who will point directly at Jesus and criticize Jesus himself. You'll be hard-pressed to find anyone who has anything negative to say about Jesus directly. Yeah, there's a few, but, but usually people don't do that. So what do they do? If they can't attack Jesus directly, they look for who they can attack directly. They attack people who follow Jesus. They attack his, his word. They, they insult his followers. They attack his church. And if you're thinking to yourself already, well, you know what? You know, this, this all sounds so unusual. I don't think that's really been my experience. You know, I've not experienced much persecution being a Christian. I've, I've never felt pressure to conform. I've never felt like I was being insulted or slandered. Well, I just want to lovingly encourage you. It might be time to take a good hard look in the mirror at yourself and ask yourself, how much do I really look like Jesus? Because if your faith has been hassle-free, it might be that your faith is more of a conformist faith than a faith that looks like Him. It may be that you blend in more than you stand out. Now, I'm getting ready to say something that's an understatement here, but I love college football. Most of you know that. Anybody that's known me for more than, more than 10 minutes knows that I'm, that I'm a Buckeye. Now, it's interesting, in football, you don't worry about who's on the sidelines, do you? If you don't understand the game, you can talk to someone who does or to talk to me later. But, but in football, you worry about the players that are on the field. And I fear that there's a lot of Christians who spend their time on the sidelines. Yes, they're part of the team. Yes, they're saved. Yes, they have faith in Christ. And, and yes, they're going to heaven. But they're not in the game. They're not out there on the, on the field playing. And I'm telling you, if, if, I'm the, if I'm the opposing coach, if I'm Satan, I'm not worried about the ones on the sidelines. I'm worried about who's in the game. I'm worried about the plays that are going to be run because that's what you have to defend against. Someone's on the sidelines, let them sit there and cheer on all they, all they want. But they're not actively in the game. So ask yourself, how much do I really look like Jesus? Because according to Jesus, he didn't stutter. He didn't mince his words. He didn't get this wrong. He said, you will be persecuted because of me. If you people see Jesus when they look at you, you will be persecuted. So again, what do we do? Well, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning answering the question, what do I need to remember when I'm persecuted? What do I need to remember when I'm insulted, when I'm put down, when I'm shut down? So I don't destroy my witness so that I don't fight back in, in the wrong way so that I don't lose my way. Well, let me give you six things this morning, and we're going to go through them rather quickly here. So don't worry, it's a, even though it may seem like a long list. And number one is this. Remember, you are not the target. Say, say this with me. I am not the target. You are not the target. That means that I don't have to take it personal when I'm attacked because I'm not the target. Jesus said, you're not being targeted. It's not because people don't like you. You're being targeted because people don't like me. But because they can't attack me directly, they do the next best thing, so they're going to attack you. And this is hard, isn't it? Anybody have experience with that? You know, this is hard. I learned this very early on in my professional ministry. My call to, be, to, to ministry, to professional ministry, came in 1987. Lou and I were in our second year down in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, where I was working, training ships. I, I, was, I was a Navy engineer, 
and I was teaching engineering and damage control aboard ships down there. A very fulfilling job. I, I, I loved doing it. But what I really lived for was I, I had started a Sunday school class for, for young couples, well, and some not so young couples. And I just, I loved, you know, we worked 50 hours a week training ships down there. It's a lot of job satisfaction. But I really enjoyed more teaching God's Word on Sunday morning and teaching couples how to take God's principles, apply them to their marriages, because most of you probably understand it's a very arduous life being in the military. There's a very high divorce rate. And so through that, God called me to ministry, especially during those first few months of, of 1987. I discerned my call to ministry with the help of some chaplains down there. And so I announced that, and this happens to be a very big event in the Christian world, you know, the United States happened in March of 1987. That's when the news about Jim and Tammy Faye Baker broke. Okay, if you remember back, this is the time period that happened. And my Commodore that I was working for, he was a captain who was over charge of a bunch of ships. You know, he, um, he wasn't amused, um, um, well, yeah, I was actually amused with my call to ministry. He wasn't a man of faith. And I was sitting in a, in a department head meeting one week with 12 other officers. And just out of the blue, the Commodore goes to the guys. He goes, you know, guys, gals, I think I'm going to get out of the Navy like Walt and start me a religion business so I can get rich. I'm going to start me a religion business so I can get rich. This is in front of my peers. This is in front of my, the people between him and me. And this is very professionally embarrassing to have to hear that. Well, that wasn't the, 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 only, the, only, um, the only time he did things like that. And he, he wasn't amused that I was you know, turning my back on the potential of having command at sea of a ship one day. And, and he didn't like that. He was upset with me. And so when it came time for me to leave, uh, when we were transferring, we were uh, transferring to New Orleans, uh, Lou and I were there with about 60 other officers and their wives at the deputy's house. And the Commodore gets up and he's at a stand podium like this and he has my plaque. They always give you a plaque when you leave, leave somewhere in the Navy. I mean, you end up with these, you know, hundred, couple hundred pounds with the plaques to ship around afterwards. But he stands up and he's getting ready to introduce me. And you know what he says? This guy, his wife, Tammy Faye, called me just the other day. Now, I'm embarrassed to tell you what I wanted to do right that moment. I would have been in the brig if I'd done what I wanted to do. You know, I would, I would, you know if I punched him out, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been a good thing. It was hard to endure those months of that, going through that, with the man who's my superior that I have to respect per the Navy. You know, you know I, I did, yeah, one time I got, I got a little bit smart, Alec, and I said, well, God's retirement plan long-term is much better than yours, Commodore, so... You know, I allowed myself to get a little bit smart, smart like with him once. But in, in Ephesians chapter six, the Apostle Paul says this. He says he reminds us here. He says we're not fighting against human beings. We're fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places. So the hatred that you may feel directed at you in times because of your faith in Christ, it's not personal. It may feel very, very, very personal, but it's not personal. It's not directed at you. The person who's attacking you, they're not the issue. They're nothing more than a pawn. The accuser of the brethren has a name, and it's not Al or Bob or Carla or Sue. It's not CNN or Fox News or whatever. Your enemy, his name is Satan. Satan. He's called the devil, and the devil's no dummy. He knows if he can't get directly to the Father, if he knows he can't get directly to Jesus, what's he going to do? Well, what do you do when you, you can't get directly to a parent? You go after their child. And so you go after the kids. And so that's what Satan does. He goes after God's kids. You're not the target. God is. Number two, it's not your job. It's not my job when you're persecuted to avenge 
are to get revenge. That belongs to God. When people insult you, when they lie about you, when they persecute you, don't retaliate. Romans 12 says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave word for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And Jesus later in the same sermon on Sermon on Mountain, in Matthew 5, 44, he says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And let me tell you, you know, that's hard sometimes. Because sometimes that comes from within the body. Do you ever notice that? Sometimes that comes from within the church when people lie about you, when people say things about you that, are, that aren't true. Say it isn't so, Walt. What happens? You know, it happens all the time. But Lord, it's so hard to pray for them. Well, it's not when you understand that the target isn't you. It's God. It's what you're doing for God. Not when you understand that it's not our job to avenge. It's God's job. Not when you understand the person attacking you is nothing but a pawn. Then you can pray for them. Just don't lift a finger against them. Thirdly, the world loves to find fault in believers. And if they can't find fault with believers, then they'll make something up. They'll fill in, the, fill in the blank. They'll make something up. It's the same thing they did with Jesus. You know, Jesus did nothing wrong. He was without sin. They could find no fault against him, but they made all kinds of stuff up about him. One day he's being accused of being a drunk. The next day he's accused of being a blasphemer or a false prophet and being demon-possessed and casting out demons by the prince of demons. And, you know, what did Jesus do? He refused to play the devil's game. Don't play the devil's game. When you want to punch back, pray. And I know this is hard. Don't punch back. Pray. When you want to hurl insults back, heap kindness on their heads instead. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Fourthly, remember this. Persecution is the evidence of the Spirit of God in your life. If you're not rubbing up against the devil, it might be that you're running with him and not against him. If you don't ever feel opposition, it might be because you're playing for the same team, even if unwilling. We've all, we've all seen the thing where the, where the kid gets the ball and is kind of confused and runs the wrong way and scores a touchdown for the other team. Well, sometimes, folks, that happens even in the Christian life. Okay? So be, pay attention to the game. You know, pay attention. Persecution is often an affirmation of your Christ-likeness. It always, it's not always, but it often is. And when you live on mission... When you look like Jesus, when you live like Jesus, when you love like Jesus, when you lead like Jesus, when you stand for truth and refuse to compromise, he says, be glad and rejoice. Because persecution is evidence of the Spirit of God in your life. It's evidence that you look like Jesus. I've got there First uh, Peter chapter 4 in your life notes. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. Why? For the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When people put you down because of Jesus, it means that they see Jesus in you. One of the evidences of the Spirit of God at work in your life is, resist, is resistance, it's persecution, it's insults, and the list goes on and on and on. I want you to ask yourself, if you were, if you were to stand trial today for being a follower of Jesus, would there be enough, enough evidence to convict you? Or would the evidence only be circumstantial? Would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a follower 
of Jesus. Persecution is the evidence that the Spirit of God is upon you. It's the evidence that God trusts you. It's to, what's the thing you should do? Is rejoice and be glad. And this isn't anything new. Peter and John were, were brought before the religious leaders in Acts chapter 4, and then in chapter 5, all the apostles were gathered up and brought before them. And they were beaten, and they were all ordered, all ordered not to preach about Jesus and the resurrection. And Acts chapter 5 tells us the apostles, after they were beaten, left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Circle that word rejoicing in your life. Notes. They, they left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They were rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering for Jesus. Something else we need to remember is that persecution only lasts a short while. It's temporary. Again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. You know, folks, if we could just acknowledge that, that we live in the United States, and some of us normally up in Canada, we live in the United States where we think it's great that someone shows up at church or chapel or that they show up to serve even though it's rainy or it's windy outside or, or even though it's Thanksgiving week or even though the Seahawks may have, a, may have an early game, early kickoff. You know, we don't really understand in this country what real persecution is. We don't understand what real persecution looks like. Unless you're in China right now where the church is thriving and growing like California wildfire, even though crosses are being taken down and even though you could be killed for being a, a Christian and living out your faith in China, churches are coming up and Christians are rising up. Last year, a documentary came out entitled Sheep Among Wolves. It tells a story of the fastest growing church in the world. It's an underground, persecuted church. It's a movement in a country known for exporting radical Islamic terrorism, Iran. And there, if you were to be found to be a follower, it could cost you your freedom and your life. But yet the church is exploding in Iran. And if you look at Christian history, you will see that the church grows most, the church grows quickest, the church grows fastest when? In times of persecution. So if we want the church to grow, we shouldn't sit back and say, oh, I don't want to be persecuted. Let the, make the persecution go away. No. We should welcome it because we know that the one we trust in is going to be with us and he's going to get us through. If we keep these things that I'm talking about in mind, we will get through it. There are many places around the world where to be a Christian truly endangers your life, your family, your work. Yet we get upset here in the United States if we can't meet indoors or if we can't sing our favorite song or, you know, whichever side of the of the of the of the hall that the that the pianos put or or the carpet color you know isn't what we want or we have to wear a mask and i think jesus says really are you folks serious finally when you're persecuted remember great is your reward blessed are you matthew 5:12 blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness sake for great is your reward not everybody who gets to heaven is going to be rewarded the same. Yes, they'll get to heaven, but not everybody is rewarded the same. I'm sorry, God's not a socialist, okay? Not everybody's not going to have this. It's not a level playing field. Not everyone who gets to heaven, not everybody gets the same participation trophy. Yeah, you get to heaven, but it's not going to be all the same reward. You don't like that? Don't get mad at me. Take it up with God. 
Jesus says, rejoice and be glad and be glad for great, not average, not mediocre, but great is your reward. Matthew 19, 29, Jesus says this. He says, whatever you give up for my sake on earth, you will receive a hundred times more in heaven and eternal life on top of that. Eternal life on top of that. Everybody in heaven has eternal life, but the amount of reward and, and the duties we're going to have, the things that God puts us in charge of, are going to be determined by how we live our life and how we serve him here on this earth. And I don't know about you, but I think the people on the sidelines probably aren't going to get the same as good a reward as the people that are in the game, the people who are, who are living it out here in this world. The goal isn't to be persecuted. The goal is to look like Jesus, to be like Jesus. And yet the more you look like him, the more apt you are to be persecuted. But remember, you're not the target. God is. It's not your job to avenge, to pay back. Let God do that for you. You don't have to play the devil's game. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't hurl back insults. If you're going to kill him, kill him with kindness. Remember the persecution is evidence that God's spirit is at work in your life, that God trusts you. So be glad and rejoice because persecution is temporary. And remember, great is your reward. And I'm telling you that that heavenly reward will make all of the hardship absolutely worth it because it won't last, but heaven will. As he neared the end of his, of his earthly pilgrimage and his ministry on earth, the Apostle Paul said these words. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So don't quit. Keep the course. Finish the race. When you're insulted, count it an honor to suffer for Jesus. And if you suffer in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust God to be with you. Trust the God who created you, the one who gave his life for you, the one who gave life to you, the one who will never fail you. The question I leave you with to ponder this week is, will you look like Jesus? Amen. joining us for this message. For more information on Chapel Mall and the ministry of Sky Valley Chapel, please visit our website at svmin.com. You can support this ministry on our website, Facebook page, or by downloading our app in the Apple or Google Play Store. Have a blessed day.